Welcome to the Deeper Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead creator of Deeper Into Movies. We're a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by writer, director Owen Klein. His debut movie is out, Funny Pages. I urge you to go see it. Catch it on VOD if you have to. It's an amazing debut. It's funny, dirty, sweaty, tender, and beautiful. I think this marks the debut movie of a really exciting and unique director. I can't wait to see what he does next. So to set up this podcast, Owen was in town. We were hanging out after a Funny Pages screening. And we just sat down and spoke. And I don't think we really talk about Funny Pages that much, but we're pals talking movies and music and comedy. And I was going to go back and say, let's re-record some stuff or talk more shop about Funny Pages, but I kind of like it. This is just a snapshot of two pals hanging out and talking about movies and music and all that good stuff. So here it is, me and Owen Klein. You guys started the podcast without me? No. Do I get cans? No, I've only got one can. Do you want cans too? No, I don't like to hear myself. Okay. Do I sound good? Yeah, everything sounds Great. fine. Just stay at that. Isn't that the worst one? Can you handle a conversation on a telephone where you can hear yourself on the other end? And you're like, hi! And you're just like, oh, I can't hear myself. That's horrible. I did a phone interview with Rick Alverson. Oh, yeah. Where I was on... I had to transcribe it afterwards and my dictaphone that connects to the phone and kind of records the call wasn't working. So I turned my landline on downstairs on speakerphone and just had a dictaphone connected to it. And there was like a two second delay with, Hey Rick, how's it going? Hey Rick, how's it going? And I had to do the whole interview of hearing myself echo downstairs and this like out of body recording and Rick Alverson's intense enough <laughs> without yeah, super having... morose. Super morose. Yeah. Are we on mic? No. Yeah, we're on I don't mic. want to insult recording. Yeah. Really? Yeah. He's great. Rick is great. He's just a intense fellow and that shows in his movies. Um, I like him. Yeah. I, I, I only met him once. I met him at a... I played a show with um, Greg Turkington maybe like eight years ago, nine years ago. Uh I was playing in um, this guy Jeff Jensen's band, um, the Low Down Dirty Dogs, which was like a fake Cincinnati blues bar band. You know what I mean? That covered like 80s Clapton and all this horse shit. So we learned all these horrible fucking songs. And then he like played, we all had characters and, you know, he like dresses up as this, he wears this like American flag thing and just looked insane. And uh, it was like the last night of this place, Wild Kingdom, which is like a DIY venue in Brooklyn. But uh, Greg had, uh, was not doing Neil Hamburger. He was doing um, this band, the Zip Code Rapists, which was his band wow. in the eighties and nineties, late eighties, early nineties, on on his label Amarillo. And he was doing all these songs. Uh, you know, he was just it was just like covers of like Who songs and Frank Sinatra and stuff. But him doing the Neil Hamburger voice and he's just screaming into the microphone, taking an ashtray and dumping it on his head. And uh, you know, like he tried to wrangle Rick onto the stage and of course rick is so he's no, i'm not getting up <laughs> he wanted nothing to do with uh that but then afterwards i think i offered him i had some weird i can't remember after the show i was talking to him and i offered him something i offered him purell it was really kind of i was kind of being goofy i was like 
he was just kind of like standing there surly, surly a little bit with his wife or something. And I was like, do you want some Purell? And he just like kind of shook his head. He was not into the, the, any aspect of that. Was this before or after he started doing that thing where he'd, wouldn't he record records, bad records, and then plant them in secondhand record stores? Oh, Greg. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He did that. Um, the earliest Neil Hamburger stuff was like that. He really wanted Neil Hamburger to seem like a vanity pressing of some like hack comedian trying to put put his thing out there, you know. And uh, so, yeah, he'd stuff them in in uh, what you call char- uh, charity shops. He'd shove, shove them in, you know, Salvation Armies and stuff. And, you know, it's actually funny. The earliest Neil Hamburger records, he was – grabbing stuff he was the laugh track the really insane laughs on those records the reason that they're so kind of right for neil hamburgers because he jacked them from andrew dice clay's the incredible uh what's that album the The day the laughter died yeah the day the laughter died which is maybe one of the best i mean it went platinum that's a record that like he made as like practically a joke he just it was like some off night where he just didn't have any material just kind of threw it all out and uh you know only a couple people laugh, you know, it's just the weirdest laughs ever, you know. But that was one of those comedy albums where nobody thought it was, you know, everyone was doing these like big jack it was 80s, you know, or whatever, early 90s, something big jacked up shows, and you know, like that, like Def Jam era, you know what I mean, where you had yeah. to have like a big Carnegie Hall. And he did, you know, he played big venues, obviously, Dice Clay, but like, uh, it was just some dingy, it might have been at Dangerfields or something, you know, Rodney Dangerfield's shitty club in, in Midtown. Or- this was when he deliberately wanted to bomb. He was like deliberately tanking. Yeah. And leaning into the awkwardness and the deathly silence and stuff, hence the title. Yeah. And what's, what's you know, it's, it's almost, it was with this kind of brazen, like, I can say whatever and you motherfuckers will laugh thing. Like there's the class, there's this classic bit where he just doesn't make any sense where he keeps saying like, Oh God, yeah, I, I can't, I can't get into dice clay. Right. <laughs> it's not a good, it's that, that's a uh, cancel tear. I was kidding. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not the climate for dice, which yeah, is, yeah. I, 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 I thoroughly endorse dice. So I think he's a really good guy. I really liked his, um, his Mark Marin interview was fantastic. And I really liked him on the Entourage, which is. I, he was the saving grace of that one Woody Allen movie. Oh, he was. Look at. The one with Louis C.K., yeah. Yeah. And he was, he can, I think it took him a while to understand why the hell he got the invite, but it made perfect I mean, it's sense amazing in the to movie. think of Woody Allen sitting there. What about Dice Clay? Like, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what did he see that made him cast it? It's just insane to even think of him, Woody Allen, sitting and watching a television set with Dice Clay on it. Yeah, I don't know why he'd <laughs> opt for him, but it does yeah. work. We're talking about some heavy people. <laughs> Woody Allen on Dice Clay. <laughs> so I was thinking on the way here when we spoke at the screening about your choice to do Squid in the Well was because of the DOP and you were 14. Uh, yeah. Oh, you guys call it DOP. We say DP. Okay. DOP is British. That's sick. Yeah, That's yeah. just one of those. I just learned maths. I didn't, this, this is so dumb. I didn't know you guys called math. I saw it on a, I was laughing about it because I saw on like a thing on the way over here, like some tutor place. It was like something, something. And it's like maths, you know, like learn how to do this, that, reading, writing, and maths. What do you call it? Mathematics? Math. M-A-T-H, math. I didn't, you don't plural. If you yes. pluralize it, it's mathematics. Yeah. But okay. maths, many, because there are many maths. It's actually quite appropriate, but I was like, maths? It just seemed like uh, it was written by an insane man that was hired to get up there at some, uh, you know, educational center. Anyway, DP, uh, Bob Yeoman, who made, uh, you know, who shot all the Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. He shot Drugstore Cowboy and Friedkin stuff and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I was just really impressed at that age you were already, because I was thinking back, at that age I was already deep into movies, but I was definitely not registering DOPs, composers, and editors, and that kind of deeper level stuff that I got into at a later age. So I was really impressed that you already were thinking. Well, the Wes Anderson movies, obviously, um, 
the fact that he was the Wes Anderson, you know, and then I, then I was going back and looking at other stuff that he shot because he had, it's a pretty distinct austere thing that Wes, you know, I guess, would you call that austere? Would you call the Wes Anderson style austere? You think that's appropriate? Yeah. I, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Most people just go to visually lush, great one takes, great, great whip pans. Yeah. 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 He's great. Got his, uh, yeah. He's got a good language. Fuck, my therapist is video chatting me. He thinks I'm not in England right now. I, I thought I told him I saw Stuart Lee yesterday, and he, and he loves Stuart Lee, but we should talk about Stuart Lee. Is, that, is he calling for a checkup, or is he calling just to hear about we, I guess we was? have an appointment that I forgot to cancel, but right. we're buddies, so he's not going to charge me. Cool. Yeah. And yeah, um, less Stuart Lee. Stuart Lee. We got you guest list yesterday. You're a big Stu fan. Oh yeah, but who isn't? He's well. He's an acquired taste. That's the whole. He's reason. He's an acquired he... taste, and they don't know him across the pond. No. At least, at least not. You know, I mean, like Chris Morris, and you know, people know Steve Coogan now. People know Matt Barry. People know Iowa Hottie, You know, like of that world, and you know, uh, Armando. I can never say his nice name, Inucci. although I love him. Inucci. You know his show. The, the Inucci show was fucking incredible. I guess Stu hasn't had that crossover, semi-commercial, accessible type of venture that, like, Rich already had IT crowd, Matt Berry's got Toast, Chris Morris has got Four Lions. Well, he's always fucking around with the niche references. It probably has alienated. It's funny, you know, like, he well, really yeah. seems like he's, and he makes a joke out of it every time he does it. He's just like, yeah, but you don't know what that is, you know? <laughs> Well, that's his he's thing. Such that's a dick, why he in quit, a great way. He quit comedy for so many years because so many people were hearing that is this great indie comic. Mm -hmm. Ricky Gervais gave him that great quote, and then people would come there and not know what to make of it. Yeah, not know his slow delivery, his repetition, and then I think the he was kind of beating himself up about it, and then he realized he just said, "You've made the wrong decision." For your night out. Yeah. And I can't be anyone else but me and do what I do. So that's on you, not me. Yeah. And it's really lent into it. And kind of, I think that was the revelation that kind of, well, he gave up comedy because he did the Jerry Springer musical for ages. Mm -hmm. And then was kind of like, I think I'm done. I know and a little bit about had that. A, yeah. He kind of had a reassessment and just realized. Uh, did you, do you see it at the time? No, I never saw it. I can't, I saw it. Jerry Springer the musical? Yeah, I still have a pin from it. Three nipple cousin fucker, it says. <laughs> you know, the characters that... The, it was It was not Jerry... The thing about the Jerry Lewis... Uh, Jerry Lewis. My brain is... I didn't sleep last night. Uh, and I was talking too much about Jerry Lewis this morning. <laughs> the thing about um, that is it's not a music. It was an opera. The That's whole true. thing was generated as an opera was the concept. And... Uh, yeah, it was opera. I just remember this three nipple cousin fucker. Like, I just remember the whole, all the people on the panels of Jerry Springer were, it was the most operatic. And Jerry Springer goes to hell is essentially the, the concept. Yeah, that's why it was getting all that criticism from the Catholics and all the religious picketing and stuff. That well, was they, don't like, they the, don't like most stuff, those yeah. Catholics, I've noticed. They were picketing outside of... Uh, the last Verhoeven movie with the the, nun, that, the nuns yeah. banging each other, yeah. But uh, did you like it? I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it yet either. I, I feel like I know what's of... up. I feel like I know what's up. It seems like I don't know. What am I? I can't. I can't profile. I haven't seen it. I gotta see it. I heard good things. I love Paul. He's a great provocateur, and yeah, I'm all, I'm always here for some nun exploitation. So yeah, exactly. And it looks really visually lush as well. It looks like he had a really good budget and stuff. It's kind yeah. of got a little bit of a... He never... I mean, has he ever had a low budget? Ever? It's kind of amazing to think about. This guy who makes these crazy things, he manages to to sort of turn every single one into a Trojan horse about some... It's the movies are all about something else than they're portraying in a way. There's yeah. always that underlayer. But he's basically the great genre journeyman of our time. In a way, in that in that regard, yeah, because they work on both levels. I mean, RoboCop's already. When I watched that as a kid, that was just a really fucking cool movie. And then when you watch it later and you see the satire and the yeah, 
really scathing attack on police culture and yeah. no, American societies. Yes. It's like Sam Fuller, if he made A pictures. Yeah. If he made popcorn, if like, you know, a popcorn A pictures, you know? Showgirls are still an oddity. I still don't understand what that was meant to be. Or, well, he says now he, he kind of leans into the jokey aspect to it and the camp and the ridiculousness and said, yeah, I meant all that. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. at the time, I don't think he did, but I don't know what he was really trying to do. It does. But, you know, what's interesting about that one is it sort of hit this um, cult nerve in this way. I mean, growing up in New York, like every other month at, you know, Landmark Sunshine or any of the, or IFC, any of these places that did midnight movies, uh, you know, you had Plan 9, you had Showgirls, you had, you know, uh, what was the classic midnight, show? you know, Eraserhead, but it was just like in that lineup always. Uh, and uh, it, it achieved a cult, you know, even that movie his, well, you know, what he probably considers his worst movie. He's also, the, you know, he he accepted the Razzie. He's the only guy to go and accept his Razzie. That I really respect. And make That's a speech. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. No filmmaker is well-humored enough, except for me and me. Except me. I would accept the Razzie. I'll go to the Razzies. How do I get an invite to the fucking Razzies? You got to make worse movies. Yeah, I got to do, uh, yeah, I got to do my trauma movie. You got to do that or just get a really big budget and fuck it up. Fucking, <laughs> go yeah. to fuck it up, yeah. Just really Heaven's Gate level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Chaos. Like, uh, maybe I'll try to reboot, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Moreau. Yeah, that always goes well. Make it worse. Yeah. Made for a really good documentary, though. That's what That the doc is great. Crazy. But Lee... Stuart Lee, back to Stuart Lee for a second. Yeah. Because we can bounce around. We're ADD, right? Yeah. That's what's great about it. Like nobody, you know, like sometimes you get in the loop and you're going, you know, like, I just want to go nuts. All that. I just want to go in every different direction. Like we're just talking like. Tangents are good. We talk. No, yeah. That's the one thing that yeah, yeah, yeah. my pod reviews say that I love when you just go off topic on something. So yeah, lean in. Lee. Uh, what was amazing about Lee. Uh. Stuart Lee, I'm not going to shorten his name, was, um, you know, he has that classic bit about James Corden. And we oh, can, yeah. We can goof on James Corden now that his show is ending, too. No one ever liked him. No one liked him here. No. They went over to America. You know, he had a second where people liked him and he was singing karaoke and that actually caught someone's people's attention, which is demented. It's sad. Yeah, the cockpool karaoke was part of the only... That's pretty low-tier uh, talk show you know, like, I mean, the, 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 the only thing lower than that to me in terms of just laziness on, on a talk show is like when they're reading tweets and memes and you go, fuck, what the fuck has happened? Where are the, did the writers just show up on crack and they say, oh, guys, just go home. You know, like, we'll just pull some shit from the internet. Can you believe that? Yeah. That's, the laziness. Everyone to, well, everyone wants to see uh, celebrities be vulnerable and taking the piss out of themselves and. Yeah. Happy to, yeah. But Lee mocking James Corden is one of the great things of saying, you know, because like James Corden always goes, his, the bit is like James Corden always goes around talking about how much he thinks I'm brilliant and this and that. Imagine James Corden watching me. It's like a dog <laughs> listening to classical music. And it's true. It is like a dog listening to classical music if you actually imagine it. And uh, I, I what I enjoyed about the set was that he was working shopping. He was workshopping material. He's going on tour. You know what I mean? He didn't have any material prepared for the queen dying. So it was a very interesting, I was, we, uh, we were anticipating that he was going to talk about the queen. Yeah. But we just didn't know how. And the way he brought it up and he's, you know, it I don't know, whatever. That that was its own thing. I don't even want to ruin that, but he was going into that a little bit. Uh, but the amazing thing was like, he does that kind of like, not bitter, but like poking at his peers in a way when you get, when he's in a room like that, I imagine. I don't know. He throws people down the well all the fucking time. What am I talking about? 
I mean, he just every, you know, like if it's Gervais, if it's this, is that he takes the piss out of everybody mm-hmm. and does it better than anybody. You know what I mean? It's just that sharp wit. Like you don't want him making fun of your shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because he's going to do it in a way. He's going to find that fucking nerve and hit it. He was yeah. going in on Fleabag. He was going really? in on this. And I don't, yeah, I don't want to, I don't, I'm not trying to air other people's shit talk, but he's putting it out there. No, so it's fine. It's awesome. What was the Fleabag? I don't want to, I don't, and like, I love Fleabag. I think she's amazing. So I don't want to shit, shit on her, but, but his critique was kind of funny and silly. It was like, you know, that she invented crowd work. And before her show, there was no crowd work. We all, for, for you know, a hundred years of comedy, we all came out and had to stare at the back wall. We couldn't look at the audience until she decided to actually make eye contact with an audience and <laughs> interact with them and goof with them and whatever. And he was just making fun of the crowd too. Like, you guys, you don't even know. I was like, you know, you're coming here. I feel bad for the people who are just the, um, the uh, was it Soho Theater? Yeah. Soho Theater subscribers or whatever. And he was going, you know, um, you say whatever it was funny he was just making he was saying like you guys are thinking you're gonna come in and see oh this is where they did fleabag or whatever and here yeah. i am just this fucking asshole it was really funny his comedy so much about his attitude and his behavior and i feel like his genius is staying in this kind of irascible space you know what i mean it's amazing when he actually laughs at one of his own bits and he breaks but he's stone-faced man he's like uh, Stephen Wright up there where it's just like he doesn't crack a smile when he's trying to really sell something as like you know no it's completely just that flat monotone riffing yeah and slow pace yeah which is so great he was doing J.K. Rowling stuff really oh, yeah. well he was out for the attack he was there man he was there for it but he kept doing a thing where it was like bordering talking about you know, uh, fire, you know, thorny, uh, thorny subjects. And was like, I'm not going there. It's too hot. It was, like, <laughs> you know. it was great. So if we go back to movies, what was, was there a particular movie that made you want to direct? Was there a eureka moment for something that you saw that you thought this is possible or this is something I want to, this is possible is the one, you know, movies never seem like anything possibly achieved, even like coming from a family who's like, in movies in some yeah. regards while well, he acting, you know, my dad would go and act, but I didn't grow up on sets or anything. I did. I grew up in New York, you know what I mean? Going to school and like my parents did a good job just keep me like, you know, having a normal life in that regard. But like going and doing squid and the whale and seeing a personal film being put together, it actually made sense for the first time. Like, you know, a handheld thing, low budget in park slope, you know, 16 millimeter, but you're kind of interacting with the camera in the same, it wasn't that far off. Like I was saying the other night, it's like dicking around with a camera, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or <laughs> not that it felt like that on the air, but you know what I mean? It's like, you can put it together as you're seeing like, okay, and that, okay. And then he comes through the door. So, you know, and you look, and then we whip over there and you're seeing all the motivation behind, you know, I got to see them build it. So that movie kind of made me actually think there were possibilities of making a thing and on a scale that seemed like, human beings were making it, you know, and, um, seeing waiting for Guffman, weirdly that movie, the Christopher Guest movie. Yeah. And just seeing handheld documentary film grammar in that. Yeah. Employed in the way that they did it, you know, um, um, and that it was improvised and that they just sort of had characters and got in there and it was sort of like a feat of editing and workshopping and, you know, just knowing the the comedy beats of the story and, like, being honest with those characters. And very dry, funny movie, obviously. And But those Christopher Guest movies, yeah, Spinal Tap and this, that, that was what I first thought. The excitement of, like, mockumentary or something and being able to do something comedic with, with very few resources mm-hmm. was very, very exciting to me. And then seeing Ronnie do, seeing Frownland twice in the theater when it came out when I was 16 or whatever. And the first time it was like horrifying. And the second time I realized how funny it was, you know, there hadn't really been that kind of acidic movie where with, with a, you, I didn't know it was, a, I mean, I don't know if you, the first time you saw Frownland, what did you think of it? It was completely alien to me. I've, I still don't think I've seen a movie quite like it in the, I think it's its own country in a way the mm-hmm. it is funny but it's so that's such a good way of putting it 
it is funny and it is jarring and embarrassing, but not the way with that secondhand embarrassment you get watching, I'm trying to make like American movie or something that where things are so awkward or uncomfortable. But yeah, and, and I remember finding it quite sad. Like I remember when he goes around to his friend's house and he's like, look, you can't stay. I really don't want you to, I need some alone time right now. I'm not really yeah. up for hanging out. And then he says, oh, just put on a movie. And when he falls asleep, he rewind, he forwards the movie <laughs> yeah. till the final bit. Like, dude, wake up. The movie's over. You got to go. <laughs> and it's only so been like sad. 10 minutes. But yeah, the tone. It the, sells exactly the, the kind of latch on friend. It's so difficult with, the, you know, like with that, those people that, that you know. Because like, he's not like a full on dick. He's not a monster. He's not a toxic person in a way. He's just got his own weird energy, which people are put, up, put off by. It's it's such a kind of painful trajectory or dynamics within the characters. It's so real. You have a guy who's clearly, uh, you know, has a hard time connecting with people and is desperately trying to reach out and connect, but it's grotesque. Yeah. And the people around him, you know, you imagine he's been in their orbits for quite a bit and they're the people that he is that are willing to actually interact with this guy who most people might not want to interact with. And that and those people and who they are and the circumstances of that and the sort of like random lottery of that is so fucking funny. You know what I mean? It's like you right before he goes over to that guy's apartment, you see him close that guy closing up his bar and all the loser bar people smoking and playing pool at some like, you know, shitty like eighth Avenue type, bar in, yeah. in New York or maybe it was a Brooklyn. I can't remember, but, um, you know, and then he like closes up the place and then this guy's calling him at two in the morning. Like, yeah, I got to hang out. Imagine, you know what I mean? He's, he's closing up the bar and then yeah. he goes home. He's trying to chill out, you know, with his Mojo magazine or whatever. And then Keith comes rolling up. It's fucking, you know, and you can tell it's like, this is relationship is on its last legs. This guy clearly had one sad night at the bar. You know what I mean? But you can, and you piece it, you can kind of piece it together if you think about it, you know what I mean? But at first those images and what you're, you're thrown in like a, um, like a fly on the wall in that way, it's more like you're just watching, you're not explained, oh, he came to the bar once. They don't have to have any stupid dialogue that explains no, what their the relationship the is. Girl in the pillow where she's allergic to the pillow. Yeah. And she comes down. That was such a great scene just for yeah. a fresh awkward romance hookup scene that we haven't seen before where it's just i've got an allergic reaction to the pillow which is a great almost analogy for you know his whole connection to her and his being just like you bring me out in a fucking rash i know I kind know. of thing and i thought that was really smart yeah what was it down what was the it was, yeah it was down it was the some allergy that she starts yeah. shoving her face in a pillow because she has it was like the feathers well yeah yeah and i just like the you know like it was Ronnie who taught me that you can be a little loud with costume design. You know what I mean? Like I remember like working on some different costume swatches and he's like, you know, give Wallace a t-shirt that says a thing, you know what I mean? New Jersey lottery, whatever. Like think about comics, think about like how much in like a Peter Bad comic or a Klaus comic, like what the shirt says about a character. You know what I mean? Like putting a band shirt on somebody or a pin that says, you know, I'm a libertarian, whatever, like, you know, even if you never dressed libertarianism, it creates some funny, you've thought about the character more than just throwing them in whatever the, the costume designer has in mind. That's you know? really true. Klaus has, Klaus has always been so scathing with <laughs> outfit choices or yeah. slogans exactly. or whatever. Yeah. And you saw doing the history of like, yeah, but it's fucking in it for. It was really cool when he picked this up in Urban Outfitters for like yeah. $60 for a t-shirt or something. It kind of Exactly. Gives it you think about if you actually kind of create those details and think about someone's personal history, even if it's fucking, you know, if it's a walk on part, you know, um you know, it makes it 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 gives it some life, you know, it gives it some some detail, but um but yeah, but I remember like in Frownland the detail I always remembered about that cares, you know, his uh, his uh, Mary Bronstein plays um that character who rubs her face all over that and has these kind of it has like an angsty like comic scene and everything, you know about how she's gonna kill herself in the high school and stuff. But you know her one kind of little character like 
cultural reference details. She's wears an army jacket with a tiny Smith's one inch pin. Funny. The kids in her high school are like, you know, like blaring hip hop and wearing Jinko jeans. You see them for like a second outside, you know, like yeah. some of the footage you shot like early aughts for this movie. And, and then you just see her across the street, like, you know, drawing this fucked up zine with her Smith's pin. And it's great. And of course that's the person who's like, thinks she can maybe unlock Keith yeah. you know, or whatever. Like who knows how they ended up together I trying mean, to date an older guy. And it's that guy, you know, <laughs> obviously Ron- Ronnie is, is winning. He does amazing work with the Safties and Alara, but I do wonder what the fuck his other films would be if he made, if he directed other, wrote and directed other movies. I can't even imagine what kind of career or films. Yeah, I don't want to get, I mean, I don't want to tell any tales out of school, but he's described things to me. You right. know what I mean? He's described like things. Projects. Yeah, well, you know, did you ever see any of the footage that he did? He tried to start a project after Frownland. No. And, uh, it was this kind of um, therapeutic cult thing. Some of the footage he, he put out there in um, a documentary I cut on the Safties for the Criterion channel a long time ago for Michael Chaikin directed called... Um, oh, that Meet the Filmmakers. The Future is Out There. Yeah, oh, the, no. Yeah, or, uh, yeah, exactly. Meet the, meet, it was Meet the Filmmakers. Exactly. Yeah. And, um, but you can see some of this weird cult. He was, it was, it was on video and Benny plays a proto version of the character he did in Good Time and everything. But it was originally this kind of manip. He wrote it for this guy. You know, he was designing it with these people and with yeah. these actors for this guy. Um, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was a guy that hang, hung around. And um, he's like this cult, uh, cult leader, nut. Uh, who's like conducting these therapeutic kind of cult uh, group therapy sessions where they're in, acting out the, the, the traumas of their lives. I mean, it's so extreme. Fucking it's hell. such a fucking great, would, would have been such a fucking great follow up, but he just sort of didn't, he, the money never came through for it and he couldn't, didn't, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't keep going with it. He kind of uh, jettisoned the, pro, you know, got rid of it. Have you seen Yeast? Um, yes. That was really good. I actually watched it again over quarantine. It's excellent. And my, it's the ending of yeast is very mysterious and excellent. It has this long end sequence where she goes to like, uh, some sort of really sad Las Vegas type show of, uh, of this kind of gory magic show. You know what I mean? It's kind of gothic or kind of like hot topic. Sean pick her up in the car at the end or something, or she hitches a ride. That's right. Yeah. Sean is in the end and... Something like that, yeah, and then it just ends on her face. It kind of has yeah. like a 400 blows thing and ends on her face, and they roll the credits. But you just see her at this uncomfortable time, and this, it's so alienating seeing her at this weird show. It's just so – it feels – it has like a weird – the whole thing has this like sleazy strip club energy. Mm-hmm. There's this like one of those sad, sad kind of like Las Vegasy magic type shows. It was grim. It was really good. I, I love seeing – Women being so weird and aggressive and shitty in their I friendships know. to each other. That was really, yeah, it was strange. It had a, again, a really weird energy, but. Well, you, I feel like that, again, it's like, you know, what Ronnie did with character in Frownland and thinking about considering really all of those people and who would be in this guy's orbit and what that, what kind of guy that is and what those relationships are, because everyone's been through those relationships where you have the friend and you pity them so much that you keep them in the orbit. But at what point does their desperation kind of like become excruciating to the degree that you have to, to alienate yourself? And how do you do that? What is your behavior around that? And what does that say about you? And all the different characters in that movie have a relationship around that. And I feel like what's interesting about Yeast is it kind of taps into a similar thing, but it's with um, Mary and uh, Greta Gerwig. Yeah. And uh, Greta Gerwig... Uh, her character, I recognize that character from going to art school and growing up going to Brooklyn shows. And it's just a very specific kind of caustic, uh, boundaryless, uh, sort of like juvenile Yeah, and they thing. felt like 
fighting and it gets kind of messy and real and heated and and I know the you know what I mean and I know those I knew those I felt like I knew those girls and then like you know having the, the Safdies kind of play these guys like playing like stickball in a river or something like that and they start talking to them yeah, and down at the some real wholesome activity yeah but it's exactly the kind of you with. know like it's just so much consideration of people and their orbits and um you know just like human the kind of like human magnetism of like who you're you know it's just that weirdness of who you're drawn to or who you connect with at work or whatever it is like those relationships are just so considered and those archetypes are so considered in in in, in both those works both the Bronstein's films yeah This episode is brought to you by our friends at Mubi, a great streaming service dedicated to elevating great cinema. I've been a Mubi subscriber for years. Mubi's catalog is full of iconic directors, emerging auteurs, and there is always something new to discover. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected. It's basically your own personal film festival. Okay, let me give you some films to watch from the Movie UK catalog. This is always fun. Decision to Leave, Park Chan Wook's new film. I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to give too much away, so I'm going to keep this short. Big Hitchcock Energy, it's about a detective investigating a murder. It's visually stunning. It's one of his best yet. That's all you need to know. Taxi Tehran by Jafar Panahi, the incredible Iranian director. Seriously, one of my all-time favorite filmmakers. Ingenious movie. All set in a taxi throughout Iran. Then, if you like that, go watch his son's new movie, Hit the Road. I watched that yesterday. Really great film, really ingenious, amazing performance by a kid. One of the best performances I've seen by a young person. Go do that. Then, after you've done the little father-son double bill, The Square by Ruben Osland. It won the Palm Door. Ruben was on the podcast recently, and he said someone described him as Larry David meets Michael Haneke. And if that doesn't sell it, nothing will. There you go. All Deeper Movies certified approved recommendations. You can try Mubi for 30 days at Mubi.com slash Deeper Into Movies. That's Mubi.com slash Deeper Into Movies for a whole month of great cinema for free. So let's talk a little about funny pages. And one of the things I walked away from the screening and me and my friends talking about is unlikable characters as main characters. It was so refreshing. I was listening to Quentin Tarantino's podcast recently and Roger Avery's daughter said, yeah, I didn't like that movies. Uh, those guys were just so unlikable. And Quentin just shouted like, fuck unlikable. Who cares about unlikable? Are they interesting? He's yeah. like, that's all I care about in a movie. And that's what I thought was so great in your movie, especially in this cinematic climate, that um, Max was such a dick. Yeah, we're in a kind of nice era of things. Yeah. Who are we, who, who are we rooting for? That great era of 70s cinema is long gone with bummer endings and complicated characters. 
character studies and things like that. I think that's true. I mean, uh, once in a while things are, you see a movie and I don't know, there, there was kind of a unredeemed on, there was like a phase where it became a kind of indie trope. I feel like, you know, there were a couple movies maybe 10 years ago where people were sort of calling it and there was a moment where that was a, th- a thing and then maybe kind of fizzled out because people just can't bear. You I know, guess. I remember when, I remember when Greenberg came out because it was. Oh, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Baumbach did Squid and Whale yeah. and then he did Margot at the Wedding and people found that excruciating. I really liked that movie. He's never really m- missed for me. I think yeah. Mistress- well, those movies are so again they're just kind of there's there's a level of uh meanness between the there's like a mean spiritedness between the characters and an, a sort of alienation between the characters that I think people can't can't uh can't handle or something it's not the mean spiritedness behind the camera it's a mean spiritedness between the performances you know in yeah. the performances I remember being in the cinema with my sister-in-law who's really sweet and she was what we were watching bad santa and she just turned to me and said if billy bob thornton doesn't start being nice to this child i am leaving she should look she didn't buy a ticket for good santa no it was just so another level of mean yeah and viciousness and that's what's so fucking funny but i guess people don't like to see, see that I don't I guess people don't like to see it but to me it's so funny I mean British it's comedy so is so funny it's what makes Stuart Lee funny it's what makes you know uh Saxondale funny when he's sitting in in his anger therapy you know his uh, anger therapy and yeah. just being cruel to people in the, the the anger management in the children's library I mean it's the uh, I, I, I meanness and I think it's British comedy too is so much about because the culture is so I think the big difference is, you know, like Americans are a little bit more unfiltered or something than British, but there's this restraint in in the sort of the manner and etiquette of, you know, installed, I mean, even around this queen that just passed away. You guys mm-hmm. had a queen, I guess, for 70 years. How many years? 70. So I'd say 70. I think 70 on the nose. Is that right? 70 on the nose. Yeah. There's the etiquette. There's a sort of like a, I don't know. It's it's and 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 when things become a little bit more inappropriate. I mean, that's the that's the territory that that Steve Coogan has played with for a zillion years. Mm-hmm. You know, is that sort of like that uncomfort, that sort of inappropriate saying the thing you're not supposed to say, but coding it in in um, minced words. I feel like that's sort of a. At least the sort of day to day that zone those guys yeah. that's you know and they took that from you know I think they took that sort of thing from from others they took it is cooking more and a lot of all the influences of of that mm-hmm. generation obviously but um but I think I, to me I don't know that that's what I'm drawn to yeah well I I, I think why bad Santa hit so hard was um you thought you had a classic lovable bad guy who will have a redemption arc and Swagoff was like no just keep him being a dick people don't change that quickly even if you pitch him as a, like a cute almost buddy comedy with an adorable yeah, yeah well, fat young kid who, yeah, who yeah, just yeah. and yeah you just can't Anytime he puts him down, anytime he sees him doing something terrible, it's like, are you okay? And just like a puppy would keep on coming back to him, which was so funny, but just so viciously mean-spirited. It was great. Kind of like what Neil LeBoot did in his early oh, movies yeah. when he was really oh, yeah. fucking caustic. Well, it's interesting, Neil LeBoot, I remember like the that, like, I don't know if it's on the whatever new editions of Naked they have, but on the DVD, the original DVD, when they put yeah, out Naked. Yeah, as well. He's got a okay. great review of that. Yeah. And he kind of talks a little bit about In the Company of Men. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it was uh, In the Company of Men and Your Friends and Neighbors were his two yeah. big ones out the gate. But those, I mean, 
I don't know. It's like you think about it and it's like those movies were early 90s and the culture, you know, in America, you know, like hardcore was an underground fucking thing in the 80s. And then in, in the 90s, early 90s, like Nirvana kind of, exp- you know, like exploded grunge. Music was just so fucking angry on the yeah. charts for the first time in a way. You know what I mean? It was like leaking its way onto the charts and that sort of like, I don't know. I feel like the movies naked and everything, you know, people, there was this kind of, you know, naked is totally about the, you know, the change, you know, we're going into the millennium, yeah. you know what I mean? And all that, that, um, all right. Pre-millennial tension. Yeah. And all the stuff of, you know, that the world is going to end and mm-hmm. everything because of, uh, Nostradamus said so and Y2K, blah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, um, there was just such a kind of, I don't know. There was just, a, they, uh, there was just a lot of angry art in mm. the early nineties. It's like w- more willing to be like loud and aggressive and, you know, um, emotionally honest and, and, and play with those things you know, in independent movies and in commercial, it was on the fucking radio. You know what I mean? All this Jesus lizard charted. I'm, I'm sure a couple of times, like all this crazy fucking shit, you know, from that era, you remember more. Of course, I, I wasn't yeah. there. I was a fucking baby, you know? Yeah. No, I remember. I was, I was a baby, like the ner- the Nevermind baby. Yeah, I was probably about that age, fishing for dollars in the sea. I wasn't, I wasn't listening to the radio then. I wasn't listening to college radio. Yeah, I still think Gen X was the best era for everything, for music, or uh, well, maybe not TV. Sopranos didn't hit yet, but yeah, music, movies, literature—it's fucking great and. It was weird because you had people like Bryson Ellis and Donna Tartt coming to like the MTV Music Awards now, which is unheard of. Can you imagine like a literary figure turning up to like MTV Awards and stuff? It was so strange. What year was that? Kind of around 95, 96 when it was like American Psycho and The Secret History and Elizabeth Wurzelid wrote Prozac Nation and... Douglas Copeland released Generation X. and What year was the, the Brad Easton Ellis stuff? I mean, like, you know, what year was, like, American Psycho? I feel like that's, that's like, late 80s, early 90s, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's to be, maybe, maybe the Informers, but it was just weird that those kind of people were all Jay McInerney and stuff. They'd be... I think the 80s was so kind of sterilized by the Reagan administration, mm-hmm. at least in the States, that, you know... Um, you know, that's what, that's what hardcore again, like kind of evolved from where just punk got even angrier in the eighties. And then, you know, I just, something about the early nineties, yeah. just all well, of like, this shit, you know, been so angry. being totally uh, attached to Brett pop and stuff. It was pretty cool. Well, I'm trying to think of other, I mean, there's so much angry shit, but there's so many angry movies and so many angry albums and from, you know, Buttle surfers were charting. That was crazy. That's the one t-shirt my mom... Wouldn't let you have. She... They got, air quotes, lost. Certain things would go in the washing machine and never come back. The butthole surface one with the pregnant dudes. That got lost. And I had a post-rock t-shirt for that Japanese band Mono with a gun that said, you die. (laughs) And my mom was like, this is like... I think she thought this was like the... Do you remember when Richard Hell would wear the Please Kill Me shirt? Yeah. Around New York Times Square where it was quite possible that someone randomly would just stab you. Yeah, yeah. Or something. I think my mom kind of took it to that extreme that I'm going to get shot at if I wear this <laughs> shirt. So, yeah, that went missing. Um, but otherwise, they were pretty cool about I had a, I mean, the two shirts in my life that I got in, uh, in trouble for... Um, were um slip it in the black flag shirt with the nun taking a break from sucking dick that was you know when i finally get around to uh vendetta that was called yeah i'll wear i'll wear my uh slip it in shirt yeah i had that i don't know how that got pasta i used to get shit for it and yeah high school and college i had it and then i had um when I was like 13 or 14, I, I, I had like a homemade x-ray specs shirt. I had like a Sharpie t-shirt. Did you ever make Sharpie shirts as a kid? I used to do the spray paint and stencil. Spray paint and stencil. Wow. Yeah. That's 
That's sick. I did a little of that. I did but a little. I got real bleed. I always fuck it up. Yeah, yeah, always... yeah. I always bleed through the other side, and you just have like look like you, yeah, yeah, some green shit on the back. But well, whatever. That's what I always say the black flag logo was so good because you can't really fuck it up too much. Right. It's perfect. It's it's just it's graphic and simple. Yeah. 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 Just... Although I've never had the classic bars. No. Except I have. I mean, I have them on my on my uh, forehead. Obviously, I oh, tattooed yeah. it on my forehead. You're looking yeah, at them right now for but... sure. But I've never had the classic bar T-shirt, and I think it's time I to, to to match my uh, my face tat to the tea tat. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most offensive face tattoo you've ever seen? Have you ever seen someone with like the fuck you? You know, like, no, some I, I, up thing? I, I saw one who you're I, in England, so you probably will have I to don't bleep know why it out. It jarred but... me so much. I saw someone who had a art school kills on his neck, and that just really upset me for some reason. I don't know why. Art well, school kills? Yeah, like, fuck art school. And I'm like, art school saves. I mean, that was like, I don't know. Not all art schools. Stu- I yeah. went to a good art school. Me I was too. happy about it. Where'd you go? I just went to a local hate school. I had a weird year where I tried to do a business course. Don't ask why. And then I went and did a media course. My college, my college tutor was an aspiring comic book writer who's now blown up and writes for DC. What's his name? Mike Carey. He wrote one of the Sandman spinoffs. That's Lucifer. cool. And he was really cool. I'd like, he'd see me writing. He's like, what are you up to? And I'm like, I'm just finishing this short story. And he was like, send me it. And he was like, this is really cool. This feels like Douglas Copeland or J.D. Salinger. And I'm like, there the guys I'm trying to rip off. That's great. And he was like, this is really cool. Keep it up. And. The best advice he gave me was we we could take out the cameras anytime we want. He was like, don't break them, just bring them back. And I really got into playing like Stars of a Lid and kind of ambient drone stuff. And mm. I'd start filming stuff and degrade it and degrade it and degrade it till it was just a wash of colors. And making these weird- oh, like you do it on like a double VHS deck or something where you yeah, keep fucking keep it up? Yeah, yeah, down over and over and over again. And I started making these and he was like, these are really nice. These are really meditative. These are really cool. Not everyone's going to get it. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I dig it, but not everyone else will, but keep at it. And I had another teacher who was really into Wim Wenders, and he got me into like Paris, Texas, and Herzog, and wrote a big list of documentaries I could seek out. And it was just the best time. I was getting into like indie rock and cranky records, and Dogma was happening. I randomly bumped into Harmony Corinne and Camden in a trainer store. Oh man! When he was out here hanging out with Chris Cunningham, which was just like this I was, that's so funny. I was just talking about Chris Cunningham yesterday because I was just were we talking about him? No, it wasn't me. No. I was talking about him because I was just saying like you know we were just talking about that era of music video and that classic box set that came out that every everybody had in their dorms for twenty years, which you and know the Chris at least Cunningham, the Spike Jones and the Gondry. Yeah, yeah. Right. I know where all those other guys are. I don't know where where Chris is. Chris Cunningham up to features or what's he doing? I didn't look it up. I he, haven't doesn't finish anything he's got a real issue with completion that's his i think from what i hear that's his issue there's been so many projects you know that's the most talented people yeah it's like some bright well you know how like brian wilson they say he still makes his pet sounds and stuff he just he just can't smile smile i don't yeah pet sounds is perfect smile never never finished yeah i mean he just fucked it up he just went nuts you know he went nuts around that time yeah, I think Cracked Chris Cunningham just cannot. There was like features on offer. Apex Twin was going to score everything. Big budget to had. Then he's going to do something with VR. And just, I don't know, I think he pays the bills with the adverts and stuff. And you can still see those brilliance in that. But it's there's like. An, there's another one. The adverts. So like I picked up, we're at Fire Records right yeah. now. I grabbed the classic cast of Thousands adverts record. You know, one of the great classic punk records yeah. that you guys reissued because I just, for whatever reason, I never, I don't know. It's just one of those $50 records. I love that record. I had it on CD from Tower when I was a kid or whatever is the import, but I didn't, I never had the fucking album. Now I get to play it. And it's great. But adverts, we call them advertisements or ads is the short yeah. name, but you guys call them adverts. So now I understand TV why they're adverts. called the yeah. adverts. Yeah. TV adverts. There you go. Now I, I, great. One of my favorite records and I didn't fucking know. Yeah, 
Well, we, we, we've got a whole lineage of like Ridley Scott starting in adverts was like the advert OG and right. Tony K, the great crazy Tony K. Oh, was wow. Advert go over here just getting obscene. Wait, Tony campaign. K is? American History X. Yes. That's the Tony. Yes. That's Tony K. Yeah. He was great. Um, Jonathan Glazer made fucking batshit adverts like we can't run these type of yeah, advert yeah. alongside like real big ones but he was totally pushing the bar tony k's like a classic new york guy like he hangs around yeah he's relocated where is he now no oh, yeah, no, he's, he's here like, he's here no he's american but he's he's a brit oh but he's in america now yeah oh okay interesting yeah, yeah. he moved to hollywood but he's he still feels very english what are your favorite things that you've picked up from Fire? While we while we're here, we should talk about Fire. Um, oh, Fire Records. Well, I do love that Scare sixty first record that they put out on the Deep Into Movies imprint. Oh, and all the Tangerine Dream scores they've been reissuing. I just grabbed Miracle Mile. Miracle, that was the yeah, first thing I yanked. I yeah, and I really like. I heard the first track of a new Black Lips record, which was really great. They're going to a whole nother level on this record. I grabbed the Groundhogs. I grabbed the Groundhogs records because I don't know where mine are anymore, but I love the Groundhogs. And, I, you know, they're great. Seven, early 70s, late 60s, early 70s. like one of the first hard rock bands. Uh, I can't remember where they're from. Somewhere like Cleveland or Detroit or something. But um, uh, what else did I get here? Yeah, so I didn't know. I did not. I just spaced on the uh, – I did not know – about that one with that Marky Smith endorsed. I just did not know that record. Yeah, oh, the power. Yeah, I grabbed yeah. a copy of Dub Housing, Pete Perubo. But what else did I get? Yeah, Groundhogs, uh, Groundhogs Blues Obituary, 50th Anniversary, Limited Edition, cut, Die Cut. And then what the heck was that? Oh, yeah, I got the Dream Syndicate, the new Dream Syndicate album. He used to go to movies, Steve Wynn. Really? Yeah, I used to, I remember. I was just saying, I remember in high school going to see Film Forum played, like, they did an amazing Preston Sturgis series. And I remember going to see it, uh, Miracle of Morgan's Creek. And there was Steve Wynn sitting and laughing in the screening. And I was too sheepish to talk to him. Yeah, I, I never, I always talk. I always step up, even if I embarrass myself. I'll, Good for you. I'll, I'll do it. I'm learning to. Well, you got. I'm less I, scared now. Yeah. Of talking. Well, you kind of know the energy. You kind of know. Keep it short. Keep it cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just. If you I come mean, to them with a, I was, if if I'm enthusiastic, sincere, you get to say, I'm not going to bother you. I'm not going to f- keep you talking for 50 minutes, but I do need to. S- Step in, but the great irony of life, though, is you only ever bump into people. Like I, on my last day, like when we were here on my last day in 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 London, when, when I came and visited a couple of months ago, I um, uh, saw Chris Morris sitting outside a coffee shop. I think I immediately texted you after yeah. it happened because I was just like flipping out because yeah, Chris Morris meant much so much him, to me. But, yeah, but yeah. uh, means so much to me. But no, but uh, it's always you're all. It's like you know all the gross, you know, all my good clothes are away and you're just like wearing like inverted, an inverted t-shirt, you know, you're sweating and you go up to the person that you admire so much and you're like, oh, I, don't know, I just want to say, I, don't I just love you. And then you're just like, oh, great. Thanks. I actually was really trying to calm. I was just like, hey, I just want to say I'm a big fan. He was like talking to somebody. I just wanted to say like, your work means a lot to me. That's all I said, you know? And he was just like, oh, thank you. Thank you. And did, like, a little prayer sign. Chris Cunningham. Yeah, that's all you want to hear. Who wants to hear f- the word fan? Well, nobody ever, you know, oh, I'm a big fan. Just admire the work. You know what I mean? Nobody yeah. wants to think of their work as like fan work. Well, no, big fans. I, I think, big, I don't know. I think fan is okay. You, you're, Maybe you're, I just. You appreciate, you appreciate the work, but big fan is just, has got I, so many. Well, then like fanboys. I guess it's just kind of like, it's just that yeah. kind of like fucking general meeting lingo you know what i mean of like big fan big fan of what you do you know i don't even whatever you do big (laughs) big fan of what you do if they don't know the title of what you've done and they've never seen anything of that that's what they say yeah i find there's uh when i do my podcasts and stuff and i'm talking to people and it's always funny when they say oh you've seen the film yeah and i'm like 
fucking of course and one even if i'd be too scared to talk to you otherwise but also i'm a genuine big fan and they're so surprised but isn't that insane i mean that just says so much about you know press and how fucking like hacky yeah. and slapdash everything oh, is yeah. at this point in time is that someone would be surprised after doing an hour interview on yeah. the show oh you've seen the film yeah. yeah i'm talking to you i'm talking to you for an hour yeah you know what i mean but most press things take five minutes and it's just some guy with spiky hair that's going <laughs> so what was it like working with blank and blank or you know what i mean it's like they don't they know the they they have a vague idea of what this thing is and they just let the person you know yak and yeah. cut it down i really embarrassed myself when i met Paul Banks from Interpol when I was obsessed with their first record yeah. and I saw him after the, after the gig and I was going to this is how big a fan I was, I was going to their other gig three nights away after just seeing mm-hmm. him and I said yeah, lo- lo- love the gig love the record is it Pony or Phony you say at the end of a song <laughs> and he was like Pony and I'm like okay cool I'll see you at the gig <laughs> and not that I'll, I'm gonna talk to you again, I'm gonna be I'm just tending. I'll be in the crowd and it was just spiraling. And I was like, I sound like fucking Mark David Chapman. Like, oh I'll, my see, God. I'll see you Thursday night, bro. And I was like, oh, fucking hell. I'll tell you uh, a capsized version. Because I got to, I unfortunately got to bounce in a second. But that sounds cool, right? I got to bounce out. Got to get out of this podcast. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, the no, I just outside, got the, yeah. I just got the wrap up symbol, which sucks. Yeah. We're going to hang out later. Of course. Too. Good. Yeah. Good. Food and you're going to record it while I eat. Oh, you're going to mic you up. We've I'm going to be the... doing. <laughs> but um, no. So I met Bob Weinstein once. Bob Weinstein of Miramax and his company was Dimension Films. Yeah. That was kind of scary. I didn't meet him. I met him incidentally. Um, But he kind of went to the bathroom and came back and seemed a little, a little pilled out. Yeah. He pilled out and he was drowsy and he was like, it was just kind of strange. And he was talking about his personal life and sort of like draining. And it was like getting kind of uncomfortable with the people I was around. So to sort of put him at ease, I said, probably the one thing that would not put someone at ease when they're sort of like spilling their guts out. <laughs> what do you say? I said, you you have a real affinity for horror movies, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> stupidest thing i've ever said to anyone let alone bob weinstein and uh he looked at me with a death glare like i've never been i've never had worse fucking heartburn like no teacher who caught me not you know like i had an embarrassing thing where i had to read this pedro padyama book or whatever it was called that famous like magical realism book and yeah i was bluffing my way through the class you know right. what i mean like i wasn't reading it you know what i mean i had this you know i probably had a little uh, uh playboy magazine inside of the book sure. you know and uh and i was in the back class and i just i remember like they called on me and i just bluffed something about the, the, the you know it's one character that's de- that character died 50 pages ago oh. just getting that fucking heartburn it came right back when bob weinstein just looked <laughs> at me and just it d- didn't even answer the question and then just carried on but yeah you, you think of bob weinstein he's the guy he's the guy in the back with with dimension doing you know scream and everything movies, yeah. yeah yeah hellraiser right is that hammer max no. no no that's before I don't know what, what later did they do a later Hellraiser or something? Possibly they could have done. Yes, they did. They, they took over the franchise. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Cool. And after this, we'll go take you to the house where Naked was filmed. Oh, that's great. Road. Maybe I can sort of like um, stumble around and we can recreate the ending. Yeah. Deeper into movies, casts, film tours coming soon. Oh my god! Yeah, you got to get. You, we got to run a double decker and. You know, yeah, just ride just around with a bunch of problematic movie tour. Ah, that would be go. fantastic. What would be what would be another stop on the problematic movie tour? Uh, uh, no, only you reminded me because the Hellraiser. Uh, okay, we'll end on this. That the Hellraiser house where they filmed in was right near me. Yeah, and it was only when I was talking to people from the what, Stephen Thrower. The great film writer and guy from Coil. Mm-hmm. And I was in, I loved Hellraiser as a kid. And he was like, Really? And I was like, Yeah, just a cool, crazy house. And he was like, Well, you know, that was based on all like the Frob and Gristle parties where they just have 
Oh no shit. Sex and the <laughs> Oh my god. Like, That's why all the piercings and the leather and the chains and the crazy shit. And he was like, Yeah, it was all based on the debauched like sex party drug orgies that they'd body modification the hellfire club kind of shit (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) the underworld man yeah so that's where the whole darb and gristle keeping it alive you know yeah so that was all the industrial kind of hedonistic parties of the time wow i just imagine they were all uh you know sipping on uh kombucha i'm just kidding yeah pretty extreme culture yeah um okay Let's wrap it up and you can do your next meeting. Uh, and then we will hang out and continue this conversation. Yeah. A blast. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. Thank you, Take buddy. Inclined, funny pages can't recommend it enough thanks to cousin thanks to a24 thanks to alara joshua eustace aka telephone tel aviv for my beautiful music and thanks again to our sponsor mubi remember 30 days for free at mubi.com slash deeper into movies And that's it. I'll speak to you soon. Goodbye.